thought maybe the Apostle Paul was actually here as you read that. <laughs> I could kind of feel some of his zeal. That's great. Well, this man I'm thinking of was only 17 years old when he became the church organist. A little bit later, he was uh, made the choir director. And then before long, he was writing his own church music, ended up producing hundreds of pieces, the bulk of which are for the church, many of which continue to be sung, but are decades, even a couple centuries old. This is a, a heart, it's, a, it's actually a pretty struggling thing to realize that his music many years ago was considered too showy for the church and uh, got a lot of complaints for it, which is a reminder to our contemporary musicians, if you hear any complaints about the music here, you're in a good line with Johann Sebastian Bach. <laughs> he was right with you. He, he knew what it was like to produce uh, music that was not always accepted by the church. But it is a reminder, a challenge to our contemporary church to say, let's produce some music that's around in a couple hundred years. Let's not just have it for us. Let's, let's have some stuff that sticks. But back to my story about Johann Sebastian Bach. He, um, he was a young, obviously, protege in music. But at the same time, he was dedicated to, to God in all that he did. So at the end of every sacred composition and most of his other mainstream compositions, he would sign it at the end, SDG. Now, those are not his initials, obviously. So what was he abbreviating? The phrase he was abbreviating was soli deo gloria, translated backwards, glory to God alone. Soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And this was more than just a mindless ritual that he just put at the end like a rabbit's foot, I hope this works. But it was really his heart cry, the purpose of his music. He said, the main purpose is to glorify God. He prayed, Jesus, help me to glorify your name through the music I write. Once when he was complimented for his music, he said it this way, I only play the notes on the manuscript. It's God who makes the music. He recognized that, that this was a gift from God. God gets the glory. And so at the end, SDG, glory to God alone. This is one of the great solas that wraps up the Reformation's teaching. You can see all five solas uh, represented in calligraphic art out in the garden court. If you haven't noticed, the Timothy Botts was here earlier last month and put together live uh, an art piece of calligraphy that included uh, a mighty fortress is our God, a, a phrase from Romans 5, and then also these five solas, onlys, alones of the Reformation. You can see it artistically there. Here it is logically. Here's what they were thinking. If the scriptures alone in authority speak of Christ alone, our Savior, and we're saved by grace alone, through our faith alone, and even that's a gift from God, then, friends, all the glory goes to God alone. Do you see the logic? If scripture alone 
speaks authoritatively of Christ alone, our Savior. And we come into that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and faith is a gift from God, then all the glory goes to God alone. Those are the five main thoughts captured in these five alone or sola statements. It was Johann Sebastian Bach who got that. Is that this is an important part of not only the Reformation, but it's what my life is grounded on. I want to give glory to God in all that I do. And that's what our text challenges us to this morning, is to recognize that God gets all the glory. You may have found it a little bit troubling to see what context it was in, but that was important for us to see. We're, we're catching some principles at the end, at the wrap-up of a controversial subject in the church at Corinth. And Paul was addressing it in three chapters. You can read it in 8, 9, and 10. He's addressing what do we do about meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Some said, you can go ahead and eat it, it's just meat. Others said, you better not. And so they asked Paul what he thought. He told them earlier, don't eat the meat as part of the pagan sacrifices in the pagan temples among pagan idols. Don't be a participant in that. Don't eat it there. But then here he says, if you buy it later in the public market, go ahead and eat it. There's no problem unless someone reminds you that, did you know that that was offered in a pagan sacrifice? Then you'd be best to lay off it. And out of that discussion, he comes to these important conclusions. You may not relate to the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, but he concludes with stuff we can take home this morning. It says in verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. I don't think I need to explain the whatever and the everything. Do you get it? It's you know what it means in the original Greek? It means everything. Whatever. All of it. There's nothing in life left out. Do it all for the glory of God. But the glory of God catches my attention. Have we thought about that? What is the glory of God? We sing about it. We read about it. We see it really cover to cover here. What is the glory of God? And I, I see a couple of sides to it. It's, first of all, part of God's character. It is his character. He's, he is glorious. He is worthy of praise and honor. He's full of light, majesty. He is glorious in and of himself. And yet the scriptures also call us to give him glory, to recognize that he is glorious and, and call him glorious and act as if he, he is glorious as he is. So there's his character, but there's also our response wrapped up in this word glory. We don't give God glory. He has it in and of himself. He doesn't need us to give him glory. And yet, on the other hand, he calls us to choose to recognize that glory and to praise him and honor him for it or not. Right from the beginning, he revealed his glory to Israel and that pillar that guided the Israelites through the wilderness by day and by night. His presence, that glorious, we sometimes call it Shekinah glory presence that came upon the tabernacle and the temple 
was God's glory. God's glory was evident in Jesus. John 1 tells us that he was full of glory. It's that splendor, majesty, light, brightness, holiness of God, his character. And then the Spirit comes in glory and comes upon the church to produce and reproduce that glory in our own lives. And then we look forward to a time in glory when everything is made right and we're in the full presence of God for eternity. Friends, this is you know, a big sweeping theme of Scripture, the glory of God. In this text, when Paul calls us to do everything for the glory of God, he's saying, recognize that God is glorious and, and do everything in your life to shed light upon that glory, to act as if that really is your call for every little part of your life, to give glory to him. Johann Sebastian Bach got it, and he realized that even with the gifts of music that he had, in the end, it was a gift from God, so God gets the glory, and so it is for you and me. The challenge is, if there's anything in your life and in my life that doesn't give God the glory, stop it. It doesn't fit. For the Christian, we're to give God glory in everything. That doesn't mean on Sunday mornings for a bit, in a certain place in Hinsdale, but it means everything we do 24-7 is to be done for the glory of God. You may say, well, that's, that seems really hard, but notice the context. It says whether you eat or drink. We're talking about ordinary, mundane, <laughs> everyday life things. Sleep, work, talk, converse, exercise. Whatever you love doing and do in your everyday life, you can do to the glory of God when it is not in the lifestyle of sin. You can do it for him. And the key, I think, is mentioned in verse 30, just above, and that is thankfulness. Am I being thankful to God for this, for the activity, for the gift that we receive when we're doing that activity, whatever it might be? Can we give God thanks? If we can't, stop it and find something better and healthier. That's the first word. And we could probably stop there and have plenty to chew on for quite a while, at least for the week. But Paul goes on, and I think it's important for us to realize. He then says, give no offense to Jews, Greeks, the church, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. And all of a sudden I realize that he's saying, don't just think you can give glory to God without taking your neighbor into consideration. Much like Jesus spoke of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with your whole being, and then he quickly said, and your neighbor as you would want to be loved, he, he integrated, he tied together those two commands. So here, I really believe Paul is saying, we can't give glory to God if we're offending our neighbor willingly and blaming the neighbor for being offended and going on with life. It just doesn't fit. You can't say you love God and hate your neighbor. You can't say you're glorifying God and you go through life offending everybody. 
and liking it. That's just out of place. Because the Christian is called to a life that in everything glorifies God and is for our neighbor's good, brings lasting satisfaction and pleasure to those around us. Earlier in this text, if you were paying attention back in 23, is it beneficial for others? Does it build up others? Does it seek your own advantage or the advantage of others? Is it something that's sensitive to others' conscience or not? And then he gets to this text, and I love verse 33 where he says, I try to please everyone. I like that word try. That's realistic because in honesty, we can't and we won't. But that's what he's trying, and I think he's being a model for you and me to at least try it because we don't hold all the cards. Other people aren't always going to be pleased with what we do, what we say, but we're trying. That's, that's really a goal. And I get it that we can overdo this. We can become such people pleasers. Have you heard that? I've been accused of that. Such a people pleaser. I think we can overdo it and it gets sick, and that's, that's a problem. I'll admit it. But look at the world around you. Is that our problem today? I mean, really, listen to the voices, the public discourse, and whatever subject gets you cranked up. Is our problem that we're too busy pleasing other people? I don't see it, friends. I think we're so into pleasing ourselves, we don't care who's offended. It's out there, Twitter or otherwise. And everybody is upset because we're offending folk and we think that's the way to live. I, I got, I, I'm just being honest. Just being honest about myself. I would like to suggest that this is the way to live. That if our heart's desire in everything we do is to bring glory to God and to please others around us, to seek what's best for them, um, this life will be rich for us and become a lot more enjoyable as a community. This is the way to live. And I like the way Paul ends, and it may sound boastful to you, but he's saying, I'm trying to do this. Imitate me. But then he qualifies it very quickly, as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ whether it's Paul the Apostle, Paul the Pastor, or Paul the anybody, the important thing is not just the example we give, but the one we keep pointing to who is the supreme example of how to live this life. When you stop and think about it, there was, there was only one perfect life lived on this earth as a human being that completely followed these two principles. And it's the most attractive life in all of history, I would argue. And that is that of Jesus Christ. Everything from beginning to end, from birth to death and beyond, was for God's glory and our good. The angel saying, glory to God in the highest is the beginning. He laid down his life for us, to serve us. He had our well-being, our benefit, building us up. He was sensitive to our broken relationship with God. You see, he lived his whole life this way. He is 
the supreme example. When we come to this table this morning, we come remembering him. We come asking even for his feeding to be more like him, to live more as, as he lived. And when it's all said and done, we can just put those initials, S-D-G, because it was all God. The glory goes to God alone. Let's pray. God, we want to be people who live for your glory and for our neighbor's good. Would you call us, even as we come to, to give and to receive, would you call us into a life filled with Christ and with his spirit to more reflect not only this text, but your life within us, to point to you as the glorious one who deserves all the glory for all eternity. This we pray in your amazing name. Amen.